tensions between MSF field teams in the Great Lakes and those in headquarters around the world are reaching a crescendo by May 1997. Even within the field teams, there's little agreement on the best way forward. The devastating health condition of the refugees in eastern Zaire, as well as increasing evidence of massacres, are raising more questions than answers for many staff. There were some people who felt that if we spoke out and named the village, that it would provoke reprisals by the AFDL, by the Alliance soldiers. There were others who felt that by publicizing the village, you know, you might actually give them some measure of protection. MSF puts together a short report called Forced Flight to explain and track refugee flows in the region. The hope is it'll rebuild MSF's credibility in the field after the chaos around the Shabunda report. This new report comes to the conclusion that since the Alliance attacks on refugee camps in eastern Zaire in October-November 1996, the humanitarian situation for refugees, internally displaced Zairians and the local populations, has been steadily deteriorating. At present, it can only be described as dramatic. To a large extent, this appears to be the result of a deliberate strategy by the Alliance aimed at the elimination of all remaining Rwandan refugees, including women and children. The systematic obstruction by the Alliance of efforts by humanitarian aid organisations to provide the refugees with food and medical assistance amounts, in effect, to a denial of their rights to adequate protection and assistance, as granted to them under the provisions of international law. In a teleconference between MSF executive directors to discuss the finished report on the 15th of May, they decide to take out a section with estimates of the number of deaths. The plan is then to distribute it to targeted journalists, again asking them not to quote MSF as the source. The next day, a Friday, the French section's emergency programme manager gives the document to a trusted reporter from the French daily Libération. It also goes to Le Monde. MSF Holland teams on the ground in the Kivus are still not sure about the benefits of these reports. Over the weekend, they write to their programme managers and executive directors, along with those at MSF Belgium. We are really fed up, frustrated, tired and demotivated by the way this report business is going on. It seems that we, who are running the biggest risk, have little or no influence in the process and that people sitting in offices at 9,000 kilometres distance, preferably from sections who don't have any projects in this country, are taking decisions of which the results are doubtful and which endanger our position. We totally lost trust that HQ will control the information that is sent to them, which puts serious question marks about the information we should send them anyway. Although the contents of the report seem accurate, why does MSF's name need to be all over it when you still have a sizeable team in the field trying to remain operational? Further, what is the use of talking about selected journalists and confidential if reports like this are still sent to MSF Paris, who will send it straight to the international press anyway? What did we learn from the last time, when it was made clear to us that the Alliance will not accept reports in the international press which are not discussed with them? It appears we learnt nothing. By the end of the weekend, those in the field are even more angry by the developments around this latest MSF report and many staff are asking themselves once more which line MSF should be going down when it comes to calling for action to help the thousands of refugees in the region. 
Is it better for them to stay in eastern Zaire when there's evidence of violence and massacres or participate in the refugees' forced repatriation to Rwanda where their security isn't guaranteed either? Today, we say enough. Even war has rules. Stop the bombing of defenseless civilians in Chechnya. There should not be a scientific uh, research for that. We know that those people are dying. I'm Nick Owen. This is Speaking Out, the hunting and killing of Rwandan refugees in Zaire, a podcast by MSF. Episode 7, The Forced Flight Report. On Monday, Le Monde and Libération publish their articles on the forced flight report. Both quote MSF as the source. Libération runs with the headline, 190,000 Hutu refugees missing in Zaire. MSF accuses. The Belgian and Dutch sections are not pleased. Dr. Eric Gomar is MSF Belgium General Director. <laughs> I can tell you it was... a. Uh rather heated interaction. As far as I can remember, we finally uh, had reached a sort of compromise that it was important to release the report, but uh, not mention MSF as the author of the report. And actually we discovered the next day that it had been published in Liberation under MSF name. And uh, yeah, we thought this is really provocative. And uh, it, 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 it created a strong tension in that time, I remember. And uh, we thought that uh, in the situation was already so hot and dramatic. At that point, accusing Kabila Kagame, while we had absolutely no confirmation, we thought that we would put definitely a volunteer uh, on the spot under danger. And, uh, you know, it would have been extremely easy to make uh, any MSF uh, volunteer disappear within that forest. So I would say the choice was making sure that uh, we could stay as witness as long as possible of what was happening, rather than immediately uh, cutting the cake uh, in, a, in a way that we were uh, pretending that we were sure about what was happening. And so uh, I would say strong disagreement within the movement and very, very regrettable moment, I would say, in terms of communication, because uh, I think MSF's position was hardly understandable as a whole. Some at MSF Holland ask whether MSF wasn't a dupe of French policy when such a report appears in a French newspaper, virtually backing up the French government's line. But Dr Bernard Pecoul, MSF France's executive director, says it definitely wasn't a surprise to the other sections as he'd spent the weekend at the MSF Belgian General Assembly with MSF Holland's general director. We made a decision. We sent the text, he said. Dr Jean-Hervé Bradol, MSF France's communication director, also remembers it very differently. He insists the others could not have been taken by surprise by the report. So we had been discussing the facts for a month, and it had become clear that the MSF board in France had expressed the intention to make a public statement so nobody was taken by surprise. Everyone took their own responsibility for whether or not they left their teams there. On the whole, practically everyone kept their teams on the ground, which did represent a risk, but no one was taken by surprise. 
So if our colleagues were unhappy, it was because of the risk to their teams, because when you make such denunciatory communications, you are exposed to reprisals against the MSF teams. On the other hand, based on the facts of the massacres of refugees by the Rwandan army or the New Congolese army, there was no disagreement between us. The proof was that a short time before, they had published a report called the Vikavu Shabunda Report, which showed that relief organisations such as the International Committee of the Red Cross and sections of MSF were being used as bait to get the refugees out of the forest. And once these refugees were located by Rwandan troops and their Congolese allies, well, killer squads were sent to liquidate them. Our colleagues were perfectly aware of all this because it was information that they themselves had discovered. As a result of these articles, Samantha Bolton, the MSF officer in charge of coordinating communications on the Zairean crisis, tells all communication departments that operational sections have agreed to go public with the report. It appears in many papers around the world. But the MSF France teams in the field in the Great Lakes are furious about the danger this leaked report could bring to their operations in Zaire and Rwanda. One writes to the directors of MSF France. It seems that in the euphoria of your arrangement between the operational centres, the field workers have become pawns. They can't understand the operational centre's high strategy, so why bother telling them? Yet, at the same time, they are told to get on with making contact so the work can continue. I can only hope that during the Coordinators Week you won't propose, for the 26th year, a debate on team security, because these days, if we want to evaluate the risk, all we have to do is listen to Radio France Internationale. Although I'm in complete agreement on the facts in the dossier, and I think we would have been capable of supporting it, I am totally disgusted by our casual attitude. She signs her message, the management pawn. MSF Holland stopped their field operations in Eastern Zaire and put everyone on high security alert. They demand an answer from the French over how they can behave so irresponsibly and in such reckless disregard of another section's field-level security. MSF France's executive director, Bernard Pacoul, admits they made a bad mistake by not notifying the field teams of the publication of the report. Together with the section's president and director of operations, they write to all teams working in the region to apologise and offer an explanation. Amongst all this internal drama at MSF, a much larger event is taking place in Zaire. On the 20th of May 1997, Laurent Desiree Kabila's alliance forces arrive in Kinshasa, the capital of Zaire, and take over the city. Kabila forces Mobutu out and proclaims himself the president. He renames Zaire the Democratic Republic of Congo. This only adds to the dilemmas the MSF teams face on the ground. Now they're not only having to navigate the fallout from this report's publication, but also the fact that their organisation is strongly criticising the new leadership in the international media. MSF and other organisations start suspending their operations in the Democratic Republic of Congo and reducing their teams. Two days after Zaire becomes the Democratic Republic of Congo, or the DRC, an article in the New York Times reveals that the alliance has been receiving significant support from Uganda, Rwanda, Angola and Zambia. While the United States ambassador to Rwanda tells the MSF team that he believes MSF serves the interests of the French government. 
At the end of May, the controversy over the Liberation article and forced flight leaked report intensifies at the MSF coordinators' meetings and general assemblies. The field coordinators give MSF France President Dr Philippe Bibesson a hard time. But in the end, he feels they learned a lot from the experience. Je suis assez content des grosses engueulades que ça a créé dans le mouvement MSF parce que je pense qu'on a beaucoup appris. I'm quite happy with the disputes it created in the MSF movement because I think we learned a lot. Contrary to what some people continue to say today, for those who were in Goma, it did actually create a reaction afterwards. I remember the Dutch General Assembly when we brought out the report and insults were thrown at me. They said that we'd endangered the teams in the field. They'd said in public that they were in favour of speaking out as eyewitnesses. But when it put the teams in danger, they thought it was an abomination, that we'd behave badly towards the movement and so on. Even if they still hold it against us, I think that something clicked and they realised that speaking out is first of all necessary for transparency, that it cannot be controlled totally, that it cannot be an action where the impact is calculated in advance and weighed against the consequences and so on. That was the argument we were given. What impact will our testimony have if we are forced to say this or that? Will it stop the fighting? In the end, I turn the question of the impact back on them by saying, it doesn't matter if we make all these calculations, we risk paralyzing ourselves. This is press officer stuff. Si on fait tous ces calculs-là, on risque de s'enfermer à notre tour. Ce sont des trucs de press officer. As the saga continues, the Belgian and Dutch sections try in vain to stop MSF France's Director of Communications, Jean Hervé, being interviewed on French television. MSF Holland programme manager warns her counterpart at the Belgian section that this interview will work as oil on the fire in Goma. At the request of its team in Rwanda, MSF Belgium confirms they will no longer send the French section any further information on the Great Lakes and suspends all communication about the refugees in eastern DRC until further notice. Meanwhile, MSF Germany writes to the Dutch section to let them know that the German Foreign Affairs Minister addressed an EU meeting after receiving the MSF report and called for an end to the massacres. MSF Holland describes this approach as a model of quiet diplomacy. In late April, an estimated 75,000 refugees are spotted in a town called Mbandaka in far western Zaire, a long way from the Kivus in the east and from any humanitarian aid. Mbandaka is a port city on the Congo River, the huge river that separates the Republic of Congo and Zaire, or rather the Democratic Republic of Congo as it's now known. Some of the refugees have travelled over a thousand kilometres through the Zairean bush to get there while anywhere up to 30,000 refugees have travelled in boats from Kisangani, which lies on the same river. In early May 1997, Zairean doctors on the MSF Belgium team start to get supplies and medicines to the refugees in Mbandaka, but international staff from humanitarian organisations are not allowed into the region. The refugees have been on the move for months and are exhausted. An MSF spokesperson tells AFP news agency that there is considerable malnutrition, illness and diarrhoea. On the 13th of May, the Alliance reaches Mbandaka and seizes the town. A UN update the next day reports that priests in the region say they have received reliable reports of massacres there. 
The alliance is said to have forced 400 Rwandan refugees down to the port, where they beat them and forced the local Zairean population to kill the survivors. The same day, another group of refugees is massacred at a site near Wenji. It takes 10 days for the details of these horrendous events to be made public. Around 15,000 refugees flee in Bandaka to the Congo Republic on the other side of the river. They set up camp in the swampy areas north of Congo Brazzaville. An MSF France information bulletin describes how they're reacting to the developing situation. The Congo Republic agreed to take the refugees and is sending a barge today onto the river to pick them up. Three reception sites have been selected, one close to Brazzaville, another north of the capital, and the third northwest of Brazzaville. We propose creating transit centres in this region before setting up in one of these three camps. Together with Kisangani, Mbandaka becomes the second exit point for refugees being repatriated by air to Rwanda. A field report from MSF in Kisangani says UNHCR is quite simply sending the victims back to their executioners. MSF suspects that there are a lot of former Rwandan armed forces and Hamway fighters amongst this group of Rwandan refugees in Mbandaka and the other sites along the Congo River. Most of them are men, many go missing before they get to the airport to be repatriated and the authorities are closely monitoring the flights when they land in Rwanda. The French and Belgian sections issue a press release calling for a logistics operation to evacuate the refugees from Brazzaville and the swamplands in the Republic of Congo and make sure the civilians are separated from the armed leaders. But the area is in turmoil. MSF is struggling to get to the refugees and provide aid and the various sections are once again divided on the position they should take on the whole affair. Next time on Speaking Out, the hunting and killing of Rwandan refugees in Zaire. We come to the end of our journey through two years of conflict in the Great Lakes. MSF and international agencies involved in the region during this turbulent time commission retrospective reports to try to analyse and understand what happened in Zaire, now the DRC. But the UN's Commission of Inquiry investigators are still struggling to access huge swathes of the region and gather definite evidence on human rights abuses, violence and mass killings. And as the country goes forward under a new leadership and a new name, questions are asked about the involvement in the conflict of neighbouring countries in Central Africa, in particular Rwanda, and also international allies like the USA. There was no American flags to be seen anywhere. But uh, I remember going to the airport, seeing C-130 aircraft. Uh, I spoke to some of the pilots, pretending that uh, I was looking for information. They had a very strong American accent, but they were not in the military uniform. And needless to say, in that time, Kabila's force didn't have any uh, C-130 aircraft. This MSF podcast is based on an original MSF case study called The Hunting and Killing of Rwandan Refugees in Zaire, Congo, 1996-1997. It's written by Laurence Binet and is part of the Speaking Out Case Studies series, a project by MSF International. This podcast series is produced and mixed by Andrea Rangecroft. Editorial direction is from Nancy Barrett, Laurence Binet, Martin Saulnier and Rebecca Golden Timsar. The narrator is Nick Owen. 
The extracts are read by Danielle Stagg and Matthew Wade. Additional voiceovers are by Michael Barrett and Gregory Keane. Music is by Lost Harmonies and Peter Sandberg. A special thanks to Dr. Philippe Bibesson, Dr. Jean-Hervé Bradol and Dr. Eric Gomar. To read the full study and discover other case studies, please go to our website, msf.org slash speakingout. Thanks for listening.